Nehemiah chapter 10. Lord willing, we'll uh, finish up the book of Nehemiah and be ready for Esther next week. But as we come to a, a close, uh, Nehemiah's history, and remember the chronology of the history of Israel is completed at Nehemiah. There's not any more chronology until we get to the Gospels. So that's the end as far as the history of Israel goes, other than what we might glean from the prophets. But they'll cover the history we've already read. So as we, we come to this point in Nehemiah, it's kind of bittersweet. We've, we've just witnessed a pretty incredible, last week if you remember, pretty incredible revival. God's moving, people's hearts are, are uh, just pricked. And they're broken and they come before the Lord in an attitude of repentance. And we see it in, in a lot of different ways. We see it in the time that they're giving, both to building the wall and to serving around the temple and helping. Uh, we see it in their, the, the giving we'll see today. We see it in the service that they want to perform for the Lord. All of those things are, are evident, really, of a, of a change of heart taking place for the people. But here's... Here's the sad truth. We look at chapter 10 and we're going to see some promises of the people. And when we get to chapter 13, we're going to see them break them all. And the reason that that's important is there's a couple of things I kind of want to bring out. So hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll take and learn from that history. And that lesson is that they cannot do it on their own. They need a Savior. They make the promises. We've probably all been there, right? Making promises to God. God, I'm, I, I'm done with this. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm, I promise I'm going I'm to tithe. I promise I'm going to give. I promise I'm going to serve more. I pro- whatever the, the thing might be, you know. And, and it's, the people had great intentions. It's not that they intended not to do it. But the power to do it, they didn't have. When we look at the Old Testament and the Old Testament heroes, what kind of sets them apart from everybody else is that the Old Testament heroes had the Holy Spirit. See, until Jesus died on the cross and the soldier pierced his side, you remember what came out, right? Blood and water. The fluids of birth. And the question is asked, what did Jesus give birth to at the cross? And it's answered roughly 50 days later, right? On the day of Pentecost, what do we have? The birthday of the bride of Christ, the church. And what was special? What does the church have that the Old Testament saints didn't? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is so key to our being able to recognize, it's not something I do in and of myself. It's like what we've been talking about on Sundays in Romans. I don't do it. Jesus did it. I just need to lay hold. I need to apprehend. I need to possess, not profess, what He has promised. And when we hold to that and we cling to that and we trust in that and we hope in that, that's the difference. What we come to at the end of Nehemiah is a people group and Nehemiah that you'll hear crying out to God, but we need a Savior. So we're right back where we started from again. 
So as we look at that, as we see the promises of chapter 10, um, prayerfully that will kind of be on your mind. Now you remember we, we looked briefly at the beginning of chapter 10 last time, uh, the first 27 verses, I, I, I will spare you all of the names. What I want to tell you is there's a list of 84 men who signed the vow, the promise. The promise is chapter 9. So they remember they, they you had some guys stand up, they began to share a word of the Lord, whether simultaneously or, or uh, together. How they did it, we don't know, but we know they wrote it down. Whatever they spoke, they wrote it down. And at the end, they say, man, this is what we're going to do. And look at the verse 1 of chapter 10. Now those who placed their seal on the document were, and you got a list of 84 guys who sign a promise. We're going to follow you with all our heart. We're going to obey your commandments with everything that was is within us. And the reality is that the, the point of the lesson is they do. The lesson of, of Galatians, Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews is that those who are just or righteous before God, what makes them just or righteous before God is that they walk by faith. In each three of those books, the, the writer, Paul I think in all three, but the writer of those books points to Habakkuk, who said in the Old Testament, the just shall live by faith. Trusting in His promises to cover us in our failures. And so we see 84 guys, they sign it. We'll look at verse 28, it says, Now the rest of the people, now everybody didn't have the right to sign, but the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the Nethanim, remember the Nethanim aren't even Jews. They're just people who, who have uh, decided to serve around the temple and they they go back you remember when joshua was first conquering the land and the lord said don't make peace with nobody and then this group brought moldy bread and old clothes to pretend like they came from a long ways away and joshua fell for it and he made peace with them well those people who made that treaty became the nethanim still all these years later joshua was a long time ago right but all these years later, being faithful to that vow and serving around the temple, doing the menial labor, you know, carrying water, carrying wood, the, the things like that. That's the Nethanim. They're not, they're not Jews. They're Gentiles who have given themselves over completely to service. And it's kind of cool. After all this time, they're still there. They're still serving. They're still doing their thing. Well, it says, uh, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the land... To the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding. These joined with their brethren, the nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and His ordinances and His statutes. Look, we don't succeed Because we make a promise to God. We succeed because we hold His promises. Not our, our promises are worthless. How many times you gotta break a promise before you're a promise breaker? It's kinda like how many times you gotta lie before you're a liar. So, 
it, it shows our our weakness, their weakness. It's the same. It's the same weakness, but they have good intentions. They want to be pleasing. Look what it says in verse thirty, and make a little mark by it because we're going to talk about it in a minute. Uh, we would not give our daughters as wives to the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. So they're making a promise of separation. Another way of saying it is they're they're making a promise of holiness. And here's what we do wrong. We focus on what we're separated from. And we don't focus on what we're separated to. I don't care what you're separated from. It does not amount to a hill of beans. The key is what are you separated to. If all I say is I'm not going to hang out with those people no more. And I just move over to a different neighborhood. I'm not any holier. I'm separate from them. Congratulations. But if I'm not separated to God. It's not for anything. We sometimes focus on the wrong things. I'm, I'm focusing on my sin and the things I want to stay away from. Stop doing that. Focus on God and who you want to love more. Focus on growing desire for Him. Focus on falling more in love with Him. All that other stuff will happen on its own because what you desire, what you love, you will automatically pull yourself into a closer, more uh, devoted relationship. Right? That's what I did when I got married. I just fell more in love with Kathy than all that other stuff. And so naturally you move away from the other stuff. If you're in a relationship where they're not doing that, that's a bad sign. That's a bad sign. Worry about not what you're separated from, what you're separated to. They're, they're key on what they're separated from. And it's important because those things are going to bring us down, right? The scripture tells us, uh, um, what is it? Bad conduct corrupts good morals, right? So, so it's, uh, basically that's a loose Jackie paraphrase, but <laughs> bad company. Anyways, you get the idea. But the, the, <laughs> the point is we know that that, that does occur, but our focus can't be that. Our focus has got to be what are we separated to? Look at verse 31. We're going to come back to it in a minute. If the peoples of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath. So they're making a promise. The first one, they're promising separation. The second one, they're promising uh, to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. They're remembering to keep the Sabbath day holy. They say, basically they're saying, even if our neighbors who aren't Jews come and they got a killer deal, everything's half price on Sabbath. We're not going to buy it. We're not going to buy it. We're going to set that time aside for the Lord. We will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. Now, Sabbath wasn't the only holy day. Uh, you had seven feast days or seven uh, separated feasts that they celebrated. Many of those feast periods were, were a week long. And in, in each of them, they had what was called a high day or a holy day, which would be at like another Sabbath. So they're saying, look, we're, the idea is, Look, I'm not going to be caring about all these deals I can make on on this day when we're supposed to be consecrated or concentrated on the Lord. Then that, I'm not going to let something else hinder my concentration to Him. 
That's the promise they're making. God's not making them make these promises. They're excited. They're revived again. They want it. So they're saying, hey, we're not going to do this. We would forego the seventh year's produce. That's the sabbatical year. I'm always blown away by people who say we should, we should be following the Sabbath. But you don't get to pick and choose what you want on the Sabbath. Well, they pick and choose. They just want the day. The Sabbath law said not only was the seventh day holy, the seventh year was holy. And you did no work the seventh year. You didn't plant. You didn't harvest. You didn't reap. You didn't sow. God said on the sixth year, I'll give you double. The seventh year, you let the land rest. So they're making a promise. We're not going to plan on the seventh year. And the exacting of every date. That means they're making a promise to live by the year of Jubilee. The, basically, the, the easiest way to understand the year of Jubilee is everybody one time in their lifetime got to hit a reset button. It was planned every 50 years, all debts were forgiven. Every 50 years. Whatever you owned, owed, uh, you might be sold into slavery to pay for some things with your land, whatever the case might be. On the 50th year, you went free, all debts were forgiven, you start over. So they're making the promise. Now this is God's law, but they're saying, we're doing it. Now they had never done it before. But now, they're going to do it, okay? They're going to keep the Sabbath day, they're going to keep the Sabbath year, and they're going to keep the year of Jubilee. So so whenever I talk to folks about the, the Sabbath day and remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy, I want to know if they're going to do all these things too. That's all part. Part and parcel of the Sabbath and the law for the Sabbath. Verse 32 says, Also, we made ordinances for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of God. So not only are they making these promises, okay, I'm going to be separated from the world. Now, does the New Testament tell us to be separated from the world? Absolutely does. They say we're going to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and we're going to keep the Sabbath year holy, and we're going to remember the year of Jubilee. We're going to do that. But then they say, this is the beginning of the temple tax. Jesus paid that, by the way. They had the temple tax. And so they said, we're going to give a third of a shekel for the, to the temple. We're going to give it for the, the, the upkeep of the temple. The sacrifice is going to go into describe all the different things that it's going to be for. But in essence, what they're saying is, we promise to take care of supporting the house of God. The things that the temple is doing. Verse 33 tells us what it was for. For the showbread, for the regular grain offering, for the regular burnt offerings of the Sabbath, the new moons, the set feasts, for the holy things, for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel, and all the work of the house of our God. We cast lots among the priests and the Levites and the people for bringing the wood offering into the house. So that's the next promise. Not only they promise to supply financial help, but now they're saying, hey, we're, we promise... We're going to divvy up the labor of gathering the wood. You guys realize that that altar was supposed to burn 24-7. So the altar, that's the, the pit barbecue, never went out. Always burning. Every day. So you're constantly bringing wood. And how many of you guys have been to Israel? And been blown away by all the trees around Jerusalem? 
<laughs> There's trees other places, huh? So I, I want us to realize, getting the wood to bring to the temple was not just some little, oh, we'll just walk over to the field over there where the trees are growing. It was a big deal. It was a lot of work. But they're saying, not only are we going to give of our, of our finances, right? A third tax for the temple. We're going to give service and time, right? In order to be able to go get that wood. So they're going to get that wood. They, they draw lots among the priests and the Levites and the people. For bringing wood offering into the house of our God according to our Father's houses at the appointed times, year by year, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. So, that's another promise. I'm gonna, we're gonna give over our finances. We're gonna give in service and time. Then he says we're gonna give our first fruits. Look at verse 35. When we made ordinances to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of all trees year by year, to the house of the Lord, to bring the firstborn of our sons, of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks, to the house of God, to the priests who minister in the house of God. So they're, they're saying first fruits. The first fruits was everything. Whether it was their child, if it was a child, they redeemed the child. So they came to the temple and they paid a set amount, made a sacrifice, and redeemed the child. The child didn't stay at the temple. But the cattle stayed. The sheep stayed. Firstborn stayed. It was, it was a gift. Firstfruits going to God to say to the Lord, thank you. And it's, it's not saying to the Lord, thank you. After everything that's left over. First fruits means it was which part of, of what they had. As first, was there a guarantee they were going to have another, uh, another cattle born? Or another sheep born? There's no guarantees, right? But they give the first. That way God held that place of preeminence. So the idea of first fruits is just simple. We make a promise, God, you're going to be preeminent. Our firsts are coming to you. Our first. We're going to honor you with our first. Not with our leftovers, not the end, the beginning. Verse 37, to bring the first fruits of our dough, our offerings, the fruit from all kinds of trees, the wine, and the oil to the priests, to the storerooms, to the house of our God, to bring the tithes of our land to the Levites. For the Levites should receive the tithes in all our farming communities. Now, here's what I want us to understand when we look at the Old Testament tithe. The Old Testament tithe was not 10%. The word tithe means 10%, but there were three tithes that they paid. There was a tithe to the temple, a tithe to the priest, a tithe to the Levite. And they're making that promise, and we're going to do this. We're going to support the work of God that's going on around the temple, so that the Levites don't have to go by land and go to work but they're available for the sacrifices of the people as they need it. They're available to teach the word to the people as they need it. They're available to do those things. That's Old Testament. That's not something the church created. That's something they were doing. So they're making that promise. Hey, we're going to pay the tithe. We're going we're gonna to give a tithe. And notice the tithe was of everything, right? Our dough. I'm, I, maybe I should tithe my kombucha. Somebody want some of my kombucha? People are saying, what in the world is that? Well, you put this big, ugly, m- m- not a marshmallow, what is it? Mushroom. mushroom. That's a big difference from a marshmallow. 
this big, ugly mushroom in some sweet tea. And you let it sit in a dark place until it tastes really bad. And then you drink it. So if somebody wants some of my kombucha, I, I kind of like it. I don't like it more than monsters at this current date. However, I do. Don't I like it, babe? Yeah, see? So if, if, uh, if you want. But they, <laughs> they tithe of everything. And verse 38, And the priest, the descendant of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes. And the Levites shall bring up a tenth of the tithe to the house of our God, to the rooms of the storehouse. So look, there was not absolution. It wasn't that the tithe came to the Levites and the Levites didn't tithe. They did tithe. The tithe came to the Levites. The Levites tithed to the temple. It was all, every, it was not like there was some weird pass out there. The concept is the same. The tithe is not for God. He's not broke. The tithe is for me. So money doesn't rule me. It has its rightful place as a tool in the life of God's people. And we remember not the 10% God's, 100% God's. And keeping things in the rightful place helps me to maintain that, that focus. Okay, what I'm doing. So, the priests, the Levites did that for the children of Israel, verse 39. And the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the grain, the new wine, the oil to the storerooms. Where the articles of the sanctuary are, where the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are, listen, and we will not neglect the house of our God. Now that's their promise, chapter 10. That's what they're saying they're going to be faithful to do. So we go on, it says in in chapter 11, we come to chapter 11, we see... The development, trying to develop a strong community. So Nehemiah wants the people to succeed, right? So in order to develop a strong community, uh, he needs the people to be willing to be a part. The people got to be there. If nobody lives in Jerusalem, Jerusalem's going to be weak, right? So that's what chapter 11's about. The people, choosing the people who are going to live, they had to do a draft. People were, some people were willing, in verse 2, but a lot of people weren't willing to live in Jerusalem. So they did a draft. And the people who got drafted lived in Jerusalem to make Jerusalem strong. Now the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city. And nine-tenths were to dwell in other cities. What I want you to notice is there was a tithe of the people. One-tenth. Of the people stayed in Jerusalem to take care of the city. They left wherever their inheritance was throughout the land of Israel. And one-tenth, a tithe of the people, stayed in Jerusalem of all, all the tribes so that they could make the city strong. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell in Jerusalem. So there were some who were willing. Hey, yeah, wherever God wants me, I'm there. There were others that were a little more like Jonah. God didn't have to swallow them with a fish because they're in the middle of the desert. He just picked a lot. And by their lot, they went. And these are the heads of the province who dwelt in Jerusalem. But in the cities of Judah, everyone dwelt in the cities of Judah 
Uh, everyone dwelt in his own possession in their cities. Israelites, priests, Levites, Nethanim, descendants of Solomon and servants. Also in Jerusalem dwelt some of the children of Judah and of the children of Benjamin. And then we go on to list the names. Again, uh, you guys are welcome to do study on the names or some cool things, hidden things that are a part of there. In verse 7, we have the sons of Benjamin and they're listed out. Beginning at verse 10, we have the priests. And the priests who were, who were going to stay there, priests, Levites, and temple workers. Verse 15 is the Levites. The Levites are, are, are gonna stay. One of the cool things about the Levites is they, they make a choice to stay with God's people. See, the Levites had multiple roles. Not only to work around the temple, okay, and to assist the priests who were doing the sacrifices, but the Levites had also been charged with teaching the people the word of God. There was to be representatives of the Levites in all of the tribes, right? So that they could be around, able to teach the people. So the people understood what the Word of God taught. It reminds me of Jeremiah, because Jeremiah, we'll, we'll get to his book in a couple of weeks. But when we get to Jeremiah, what we're going to learn about Jeremiah is he had an opportunity to retire. At the end of a long run, right? Jeremiah from, he's called as a young man. The Bible says he's ordained a prophet from the womb. God had a plan for him from the beginning. Jeremiah goes out and nobody ever listens to him and his life is rough, but he continues to stay with the people who hate him so that he can be the voice of the word of God to the people. And then at the end, when Jerusalem's destroyed, the leaders of Babylon, they say, Jeremiah, man, you've been working hard. We, we will give you a special retirement home in Babylon. All your needs are met. You don't gotta work no more. You don't have to be with these people. They don't listen to you anyway. They hate you. They want to kill you all the time. So they say, we'll put you up. Again, Jackie paraphrased, but you look at the end of Jeremiah, you'll see it somewhere around chapter 40. So, Jeremiah says no. And he stays with the people. And the people decide to go to Egypt. And Jeremiah says to the people, Don't go. If you go to Egypt, you're going to die by the sword in Egypt. Just stay here and obey the law of Babylon. But like they always did in Jeremiah's life, they didn't listen. And they went to Egypt. And Jeremiah went with them. And where they died... He died. But he stayed with them his entire life long so that he could be with them to tell them that they would not be without a witness of God's word to the people. They made, they had the choice not to listen, right? But he was there to, t- I love that. And that was kind of the heart of the, the priests and the Levites. They didn't just stay in Jerusalem because then all the outlying Tribes, all the, all the other areas were going to forget God's word, right? So, so they would go with the people so that the people had someone to teach them. It's, it, that part's a, a valuable part, right? That's still why we do, uh, um, missionaries today, that there ought to be a voice of God in, in places where God leads us to go. And, or where God places on someone's heart to go, that there's that voice to be in that place. And it won't be without peril. And it won't be without heartache. Ask Saeed. I still remember. It was. 
I don't know where I where I first met him. I might have met him at a prayer uh, um, a prayer meeting in Boise before he ever went. But somehow um, we got to be uh, Facebook friends, which is to say he don't have any idea who I am. But we were friends on Facebook before he was ever arrested. And uh, I remember on Facebook him saying, "Hey, I'm going. I'm going to Iran, and there's always a chance something bad could happen. Keep me in your prayers." He was. He had to go. He had to go and and be and do what God had laid on his heart to do. And there he is. I actually got word out today. I think he's looking a little better. Uh, his time in the hospital. So uh, a good report that came out today uh, on Saeed's. He's still in the hospital, but he's looking better. His parents got to see him. And uh, things are not, he's not home. So until he's home, it ain't, it ain't great. But thank God, good things are happening. So that's good news. Now we come down to verse 19. See how quick we can move? Uh, we have the, <laughs> the gatekeepers. The gatekeepers are listed out for us in verse 19. Verse 22, we have the overseers of the Levites. Those who were charged with taking care of whose job it was to be where, when, uh, was, was there listed out in verse 22. Verse 23, I want to I bring out a point. It says, for it was the king's command concerning them that a certain portion should be for the singers a quota day by day. That means in verse 23, the king of Persia. So where Artaxerxes was the king, right? Under whom... Uh, Nehemiah was serving. So Artaxerxes wanted the priests in Jerusalem to pray for him. So he tithed. He gave. He, he wanted to be a part of what was going on uh, in Jerusalem. So Artaxerxes, this is Artaxerxes asking for this. It says in verse 25, And as for the villages with their fields, some of the children of Judah dwelt in Kirjath Arba and its villages, Dibon and its villages, uh, Jechabazil and its villages. And then we go through and list out uh, the folks that were a part of that and the places where they settled, whether it be uh, Beersheba or different villages that were around the area, uh, not only Beersheba, all the way to the valley of Hinnom. So listing out the sons of Judah and the sons of Benjamin who were settled there. So we come into to chapter 12. It says in chapter 12, Now these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, Jeshua, Sariah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Amariah, Maluch, uh, Hatush, Shechaniah, Recham, Merimoth, Edo, Genethoi, Abijah, Mijamin, Maadia, Bilga, Shimei, uh, Joirib, Jediah, Salu, Amak, Hilkiah, and Jediah. These were the heads of the priests and their brethren in the days of Jeshua. So he's talking about the first, the first part. Remember when we started on Ezra, we have Zerubbabel and Joshua, the first part that come in. And roughly 50,000 guys come to, to build the temple. And you have three different uh, uh, declarations or decrees to go and build the temple. Then we work our way. You have Ezra coming later, right? Remember teaching the people the word? 
And then Ezra still, he comes 60 years after that first group. Then Ezra comes down and Ezra does his time. And and, then 14 years after Ezra comes Nehemiah. Nehemiah has now been there 12 years. He's about to go home. So he's been there 12 years. They've done the work. He's done his best to organize the people. And so they list out the heads of the priests under each one of those uh, different reigns. From the reign of, of Darius, and the, in, which was before Artaxerxes, leading up to Nehemiah and Artaxerxes. So when we come to uh, verse 27, it says, Now, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places... To bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness. Both with thanksgiving and singing with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. So they come to a point at the dedication of the wall when they want to praise God for what he's done. So we saw the construction of the wall, the consecration of the people, and then the dedication of the wall. So first the construction, then the people consecrated Focused, they they go through a revival, then the dedication for what God had done through all that time. For what God had worked, for the things that He had done. And they're going to do kind of a cool thing. They're going to have two processions. One procession is going to be led by Ezra. One procession is going to be led by Nehemiah. They're going to start and walk in opposite directions and meet together back around at the temple. Part of the group is going to walk on the wall. Part of the group's going to walk below the wall. Because you remember when they were building the wall, they said, oh, if a fox got on this wall, it's going to fall down. So they're just going to walk the wall. The other interesting thing about them them walking and being a part of all that is the Lord had told the people, wherever you put the sole of your foot, that's yours. So this is an idea in the dedication of the wall of the people taking possession of the promise of God, So they're walking the wall, they're, they're dedicating the wall to the Lord, acknowledging that God did it, that this is God's city, but they're taking ownership of the city that God restored, and the temple that God restored. And so that's what they're doing. So in verse 28 it says, And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Netophathites, and from the house of Gilgal and the fields of Geba and Amazveth, for the singers had built themselves villages all around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, purified the people, purified the gates, and purified the wall. So I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall and appointed two large thanksgiving choirs. One went to the right hand on the wall toward the refuse gate. After them, Hoshea. And half of the leaders of Judah, Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shimei, Jeremiah, and some of the priest's sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shimei, the son of Amataniah, and the son of Machaiah, the son of Zakur, the son of Asaph, and his brethren. So they're going to go one way around the wall with the musical instruments of David, the man of God, Ezra the scribe, went before them. So Ezra is going to lead that group. By the fountain gate, in front of them, they went up the stairs to the city of David on the stairway on the wall, beyond the house of David, as far as the water gate eastward. So they're spread out quite a ways, and they are going to begin their circuit. The other Thanksgiving choir went the opposite way. And I was behind them 
with half of the people on the wall, going past the tower of the ovens as far as the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, from the old gate above the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate, and they stopped by the gate of the prison. So the two thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God. Likewise, I and half of the rulers with me, and the priests, Eliakim, and Maaseiah, and Minjamim, and Micaiah, and Eloinai, and Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and also Maaseiah, and Shimei, and Eleazar, and Uzzah, and Jehonan, and Melchijah, Elam, and Ezer, and the singers sang loudly with Jezariah the director. So they got a director of singers. They're singing one way around, the other way around. They come at the at the muster gate. They come into the temple. Now they're in the temple area. And they're entering into a time of praise. Praising God for what God has done and the restoration of what they have of a nation. And the, those coming out and entering in. Uh, to all that they have there. So, it says, The two Thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God. And uh, verse 43, Also, that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. And the women and the children also rejoiced. So the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. Look, whatever you love, you will praise and they are stoked at what God's done, that the city is secure, that they have a place to worship again, the revival has taken place, they dedicated the city, and they're just praising God. They're just praising Him. They want to sing to the Lord of hosts for all they've done. And people all around heard them praising. Heard them glorifying all that God had done. C.S. Lewis had it right. What you love, you praise. It's not hard to praise the Lord when we're in love with the Lord. If we're struggling in our relationship with Him, if we're dealing with difficulties, we might find ourselves having a hard time to praise. And our focus shouldn't be to understand more what what's going on in our life. Here's what we do, guys. We have a tendency to make our world man-centered. You get what I'm saying? So my focus is my problems. I am now in a man-centered worldview. And in a man-centered worldview, God will never be praised. Because my focus is me. I've got to change my focus. I've got my focus as God to be the Lord. When the Lord is central, my worldview is built around the centrality of God then I will be able to love Him and understand maybe not exactly what's going on, but understand that I can trust Him because I know who He is and He remains central in my life and the praise will usher forth. And God's people are strong when it's that way. To date, you go to Israel, it's a very man-centered worldview. All they can think about is all the bad things that have happened to them. When the missiles fell or who did what or what, you know, terrorist bomb killed whom? And I'm not saying those things aren't tragic. They are tragic. But my focus, if it's man-centered, it's always going to be a frustration. If it's God-centered, there will always be strength. There will always be endurance. Because God gives that to those who praise Him, to those who love Him, to those who focus on Him. 
So, in verse 44, we see him praise, and now we're going to see him give gifts to the Lord. It says, And at the same time, some were appointed over the rooms of the storehouse for the offerings. The first fruits, the tithes, to be gathered into them from the fields of the city. The portion specified by the law of the priests and the Levites. For Judah rejoiced over her priests and Levites who ministered. So the, the, the point is the people, when it's talking about Judah, it's talking about all the people. They rejoice for the opportunity to support the priests and the Levites. To, to make them able to teach them and to guide them and to be there for them and to cover their sacrifices and take care of them. It was their joy. It was their joy, not because they were such great people. It was their joy because God was central. They were worshiping God. And so doing the things that God had asked them to do was not laborious. What does it say in, in 1 John? 1 John tells us if we love the Lord, we will keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. So if His commandments are burdensome... God's not central. If we love the Lord, we will do what He has asked us to do, and it's not going to be a great labor, a big pain in our backside. It's going to be our joy to do what God's asked us to do. And that's exactly what's happening for them, right? It's their joy to do that, to take care of them. Both the singers and the gatekeepers kept the charge of their God and the charge of the purification according to the command of David and Solomon his son. For in the days of David and Asaph of old, there were chiefs of the singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So, you know, they all got their praise. They were all singing from the same praise book, right? Nobody had to print up a new one. You have it. There's 150 of them. <laughs> There's more if we go in the Old Testament and dig out Moses and some of the others. But 150 Psalms. That was the praise book of the people. They're they're praising what David and Asaph and the songwriters who had gone before them had done. In the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, all Israel gave portions for the singers and the gatekeepers a portion for each day. They also consecrated holy things for the Levites and the Levites consecrated them for the children of of Aaron. So what they're saying is everybody was functioning together. Everything's going good. Things are happening. People are loving God. The city's restored. Nehemiah's pretty stoked. Twelve years is up and he's got to go report to Artaxerxes back in Persia. So he's gone for a year. Chapter 13 is what Nehemiah finds when he comes back. One year later. Chapter 13, he begins. On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God, because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam. So we see in, in 13, 1 through 3, there's a mixed multitude. Nehemiah comes back, they read the scripture, and the people realize there's a mixed multitude. They're, they've got Ammonites. They've got Moabites. Remember before they said, we're going to stay separated? When Nehemiah comes back and they read the word and they and the people realize, oh, we didn't stay separated. So I think a lot of times we don't stay separated because that's what we're focused on. Right? 
If I'm on a diet and I sit around and think, oh, I wish I had ice cream. Oh, my gosh, if I only could have ice cream, some hot fudge on it and, and maybe some strawberries sprinkled around that. And that's why, What are you doing? I'm not going to focus on what I'm setting aside. I want to focus on what I'm going toward. I want to focus on the Lord. Not on what's being left behind. But uh, they point to Balaam. Balaam was a prophet for hire. He'd spoke whatever the world wanted to hear. There's a lot of Balaams in the world today teaching in a variety of churches. Just telling the people what they want to hear. They want to get paid. They want the people. They want a full church. They tell people what they want to hear. They keep them happy. They entertain them. They do the things that they want to do. And, and they're not teaching through God's word. All that is is a hireling. Jesus said, when the wolves come, the hireling is going to blow town and he's going to leave whatever there is of sheep in that place to be devoured by the wolves. So that's the attitude of Balaam, who was a reason why the Moabites and the Ammonites were not to be uh, in the house of God. Uh, <clears throat> however, God turned the curse that Balaam tried to put on him into a blessing. So it was when they had heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. So the first problem is in a year, they're right back to where they were before they separated. Okay? Then we go to verse 4. Now, before this, Eliashib the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. You remember the three bad guys? Tobiah is one of the three bad guys. The high priest and Tobiah are buddies. Tobiah is a guy who was trying to attack the people, tear down the wall, don't build this, you know, trying to cause all that chaos. The high priest and him are pals. In fact, they're such pals, listen, he made him a house in the temple. He prepared for him a large room where previously they stored grain and offerings and frankincense and articles, the tithes of grain and new wine and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and gatekeepers and the offerings for the priests. So he took one of the storerooms and he converted it into an apartment for Tobiah. Who's not a Jew, he's a Gentile. He doesn't care about the things of God. But the priest, you know, their family, we're going to see. Daughters and sons had married. And so he's let to move into one of the storerooms in the temple. One year later. Look what it says. So, during all this time, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I returned to the king. Then after certain days, I obtained leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem, and discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. So he's like, what are you doing? You, you made him an apartment. It grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw out all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. So it kind of reminds me of Jesus overturning the tables, right? Nehemiah goes in and he's like, there's an apartment in the storehouse of the temple. A, a, a pagan guy is living on the, on the where he has no business being. And so he just chucks all his stuff out into the courtyard. Had to be a cool sight, you know. Flinging all that stuff out. Or what is all this stuff? That, you know, I don't know if you guys were ever in the service, but there were occasions when uh, Marines would come through our, our barracks, you know, unannounced, and they want to inspect things and see how clean it is. 
And I, I don't know why they call that that, because what they really mean is they're going to roust it. All the stuff that you got in your wall locker or hung up is going to go on the floor. The bed that you got made is going to get flipped upside down. They're going to yell and scream and holler and throw stuff everywhere. And when they leave, it's going to be a hundred times worse than it was when they come in. Same kind of thing. You're Nehemiah, only he's not leaving it in the room. It's out. It's going out. They, he's, he's rousting it. It's getting tossed. He's throwing it outside. Then in verse 9, I commanded them to cleanse the rooms. More than one. I commanded them to cleanse the rooms and I brought back into them the articles of the house of God and the grain offering and the frankincense. They, they had promised to keep the holy place holy. You remember? You remember when back in, at the end of, of chapter 10, what they say at the end of the chapter? Um, we will not neglect the house of our God. We'll take care of it. Well, they did. They moved Tobiah in. One of the enemies <laughs> gave him a special apartment in the place. Look at verse 10. I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given to them. That means the people weren't tithing. They weren't giving. They weren't bringing that stuff in for the Levites. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. God told the Levites, you guys don't need land. I'm going to take care of you. The people are going to tithe and that will take care of you. You just focus on me and teaching the people about me. That's what the Lord told the Levites. And then the Lord told everybody else, your job is to take care of the Levites. Take care of them so that they're able to do that. So within one year, all the Levites are out buying property because they're like, dude, I'm going to starve to death. I got to go get a... I gotta go get a job. I gotta go get a farm. Which means nobody's getting taught. Nobody's having an opportunity to spend time in the Word. Those things aren't going on because they are out in the field buying property that they weren't supposed to have to get. The people promised, right? We're gonna bring our support. Verse 39 of chapter 10. We're gonna tithe. We're gonna bring the wood, and we're gonna bring this, and we're gonna bring that, and we're gonna take care. And they had good intentions, right? But a year later, they're they're out. So I contended with the rulers and said, "Why is the house of God forsaken?" And I gathered them together and set them in their place. So he goes and gets all the leaders, the Levites, who bought land because they're hungry, and nobody's taking care of them. And he says, "No, no, no, no. You guys get back over here." You guys need to be back where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to do. Verse 12, Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. So the people began to support again. Because Nehemiah came and rattled everybody's cage and said, What are you guys doing? Come on, what's going on? You guys made a promise and it has only been a year. You guys made a promise that you're going to take care of this. He said, I appointed his treasurers over the storehouses. Shelemiah. The priest, Zadok the scribe, and of the Levites, Pedai, and next to them was Hanan, the son of Zakur, and the son of Mataniah, for they were considered faithful. So he found faithful guys he could put in, in place. In other words, the dudes who let this all happen were gone, and new guys were appointed. Obviously, those guys aren't going to do the job, so he appointed new guys to do that job. And it was their task to distribute to their brethren. And then he, he prays. He's going to say this prayer 
uh, three different times in this chapter. Remember me, O God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God for its services. I think Nehemiah is probably a little frustrated. I don't know. What do you guys think? Twelve years, he did all this stuff, he did all this work, and then a year later, it's all falling apart. Galatians 6.9 says the same thing in the New Testament. Do not grow weary in doing good. For you shall receive a reward. If what? If you are faithful. We continue to move. We continue to do what we're supposed to do. And that's what Nehemiah did. In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath. Well, didn't they say they were going to keep Sabbath? And they're going to keep this Sabbath year and they're going to keep the year of Jubilee. Look, until Jesus comes back, they're not ever going to keep a year of Jubilee. They struggle with the Sabbath year their entire history. He saw them bringing in sheaves, loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, all kinds of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. And then men outside, remember what they said about if men outside came in with great deals? Men attired dwelt there also who brought in fish and all kinds of good and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Hey, half off a fish on the Sabbath. So they're selling all that stuff on the Sabbath day. And I contended with the nobles of Judah. He fought with the guys that that were in charge. And said to them, What evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath? Did not your fathers do this? And and did not our God bring all that disaster on us and on this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath? You're doing the same thing they did for which we went into captivity. What are you guys doing? What are you guys doing? So it was at the gates of Jerusalem, as it began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded the gates be shut and charged that they not be open until after the Sabbath. He couldn't keep the dudes out. He had to go shut the gates and keep all them fellows from selling. And then he does, he goes past that. He says, then the merchants and the sellers in verse 20 and all had all kind of wares waited outside. They lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. So I warned him and said, why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do that again, I'm going to lay hands on you. Apparently that's Bible speak for there's a whooping coming. Get out of here. You don't hang out here. You come any other day, but not this day. Uh, so they didn't come back again. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should go and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. And then he prays again. Remember me, O God, concerning this also and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. Uh, Nehemiah's heart was to obey God. But he's recognizing the people, they don't have, well, they don't have what Nehemiah has. Nehemiah has a spirit. The Holy Spirit didn't come upon the children of Israel. The Holy Spirit came upon her heroes until Christ. And then the Holy Spirit came upon the church. The power in order to fulfill the things God's asking us. Verse 23, in those days, I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Remember they said, oh, we're going to keep separated. We're not going to marry them. We're not going to give our daughters to them or our sons to their daughters. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah. 
but spoke according to the language of one or the other people. So they were losing the Hebrew language one year later. So I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters and wives to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Remember Ezra, when this happened to Ezra, Ezra pulled out his own hair. Nehemiah said, no, 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 no. Let me show you how to do this, Ezra. He went over and pulled out their hair. Yeah, I'm not pulling out my hair. You knuckleheads, I'm going to pull out yours. So he's... But it doesn't matter what you do to people who are unregenerate. Until they have the Holy Spirit, they cannot obey. They can't do it. I don't care what laws you pass. People will still go to schools and try to shoot kids. Right? Now Oregon. Before that, what was it? Uh, Seattle. And there's one more before that. So, the, yeah. And the point is, we can't legislate morality. What is necessary is a healing. They are all serving the same master. Sin. And sin does what? Destroys. If sin's a master, sin will destroy. That's what's happening for the children of Israel. Sin's the master. That's the point. By this time, they're recognizing we can't do this. I mean, one year later, and here we are, right back where we were. That's why Jesus came to put to death the old man and to give him something that would help them be able to move forward. He tells them about Solomon, verse 26. Didn't Solomon, the king of Israel, do these things, sin this way? Yet among many nations there was no king like him, <coughs> who was beloved of his God. And God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. Everybody, everybody thinks this rule is not for them. Do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. And by the way, that is not only for marriage. Do not be yoked together with an unbeliever. You're not going to have the same ethics. You shouldn't. Yours should be much greater. And the point that he says is, your ethics is not going to lift them up. Their ethics is going to pull you down. That's what happened to Solomon. Should then... Should we then hear of your doing all this evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Elishib, the high priest, was a son-in-law of Sanballat. That was the other bad guy. Sanballat and Tobiah. Now this guy has married one of his daughters. Therefore, I drove him from me. Yeah, brother, you're out of here. So he took him out of town. And then he prays again. Remember them, O God. Oop, it's a little different, right? Remember me, remember me. Remember them, O God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. So I cleanse them of everything pagan. I also assign duties <coughs> to the priests and the Levites, each to his service, and bringing the wood offering and the first fruits at appointed times. So remember me, O oh my God, for good. And Nehemiah is doing what he can, but he's coming to recognize what every prophet before him knew. 
We need the new covenant. We cannot obey the requirement written on stone. So God needs to enter into our lives and write that requirement on our hearts. That is how we are able. (laughs) Because He will have done it and empowered us and equipped us and we just follow Him. That's what they didn't have. So Galatians 6, 9 again. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap. If we don't give up. And Nehemiah never quit. Jeremiah never stopped. God's people that had the Holy Spirit within them. Even though the people were frustrating and they were a pain. They stayed with them so that they could have a representative of God's word in their life. So that they could still live by faith and honor God by hoping in His promises. Even though they're not able to fulfill the requirements. You get what I'm saying? Same way we hold on to the promises of God. Even though we're not able to fulfill the promises, we hold on to God's promises through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because He has done it for us and given us what we need to do it. To move forward. Everything that we need for life and godliness we have in Christ Jesus. Everything we need. We don't need another rule or another regulation. We just need more of Him. Laying hold of Him for all we're worth. Desiring Him above all other desires. Taking our thoughts captive in Christ Jesus. Realizing that when that becomes preeminent in our life, everything else settles to the spot it's supposed to be in. But if that's not preeminent, if Christ is not preeminent, if He doesn't hold that first place, if He's not seated on the throne in our life, if He's not the Master, then everything's off kilter, messed up. One thing I do. Forgetting those things which lie behind. I press on for what He Has laid hold of me. Jesus has done it. He's opened the door. We just follow.